Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs 20, verse 6. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Almost everybody thinks of themselves as the protagonist in the story of their lives. Almost nobody thinks of himself as the villain. Men are gifted at looking at themselves through rose-colored glasses. We are masters of excuses and self-justification. Even when you point out evil and wickedness, there's always a ready answer. It was someone else's fault. I am a victim. I am a good person. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness. This started in the garden. This started at the very beginning. God asked Adam, who told you that you were naked? Adam responded, it's her fault, and it's your fault. The woman whom you gave me, she gave me to eat, and I did eat. God turned to Eve, why did you eat from the tree which I commanded you not to eat of it? And Eve responded, the serpent deceived me. And the story goes on from there. The first sin was pride, and pride has colored our vision. And we are now all guilty of thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. In our fallen state, we always want to see ourselves as the good guy, the knight in shining armor, etc. So when we fail to engage in actual good, self-sacrifice, loving our neighbors, we look to the good causes we support, or we point to our intentions, or we simply lie to ourselves because we couldn't be that bad, right? The answer is wrong. We are all that bad. We are so bad that the inspired psalmist writes, every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Who can find a faithful man? Indeed, who? Without the grace of God, it is impossible. The answer is nobody can find a, a faithful man. Even with his excuses, Adam received the punishment for his sin. And so did Eve. God is pure and holy and just. He sees right through our lies, and he punishes sin. Adam and Eve died, as we all do, because the wages of sin is death. Thanks be to God that he is not without grace. He found a faithful man for us. He came down himself, binding our nature to his in the person of Jesus Christ, so that he could be the faithful man, in whom we can all learn to be truly good. In the context of this verse, that means that we need to heed the exhortation of Paul not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We need to beat our breasts and repent of our sin. 
In humility, we need to confess and turn to God that we might learn to die to ourselves just like Jesus so that we can be resurrected just like Jesus. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. Please see. Solomon told us to work hard despite the uncertainties of time and chance. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Next, he told us that wisdom is superior to folly, even when it is not exercised. Then he told us that wisdom is vulnerable. Dead flies putrefy the ointment, so does a little folly to the wise. Then he instructed us about keeping our head under authority and the dangers inherent in different kinds of work. Last week, we delved into the wisdom necessary in the use of words and the tongue. Namely, words of the wise man's mouth are gracious, and fools should keep their mouths shut. Also, don't curse the king. This week, Solomon will instruct us on casting our bread upon the waters. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. This verse can be interpreted in a couple of ways, but they have to do with risk-taking. First, this may be taken as an exhortation to invest broadly and diversify. Cast your bread upon the waters so that you can increase. This is certainly true, and it is something a wise man does under the sun. This is a very physical expression or interpretation of this verse. Solomon certainly did it. His ships came in every three years, bearing all kinds of royal dainties. Apes and peacocks and gold and silver, spices and linens. God does reward wise investments. But that means stepping out in faith. You must take risk. When you take your goods and you put them on a vessel, they may be destroyed by a storm. They may be stolen by pirates. Or they may come back with a profit. It takes faith to invest. When you take your money and invest it in a stock or a bond, its value may decrease. It's a risk. But it also may increase, which is what you expect, which is why you invest. But you're taking a risk. If you invest in a business, it may lose money. But if you don't take the risk, you will certainly not increase your investment. If we refuse to sow our seed, if we refuse to let it die, and if we refuse to risk its loss, it cannot take root, it cannot grow, and it cannot increase. Don't be like the wicked servant in the parable who buried his talent in the ground. Verse 2 likewise instructs diversity in investment, and it, does, and it does spread risk. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Active and diverse trading does, or should, increase the quality of life for everyone involved. So, for instance, trading with China and Germany and Argentina grants them a portion with us 
They receive income. They receive work. They receive profit. And you're giving them a serving, if you will. And at the same time, it minimizes our exposure to what evil will be on the earth. So if we have a bad wheat harvest, we may be able to make up for that by trade. This teaching can be summed up in the saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And it is the first application to be drawn from these verses. But a second interpretation, and an older interpretation, is that these verses command us to be bold in the business of generosity. Don't be afraid to take risk. Don't be afraid to stretch yourself in the work of giving, in the work of giving to your neighbor. And don't be afraid to do so precisely because the rewards are predictable. Here's a promise. Cast your bread upon the waters for what? For you will find it after many days. Casting your bread upon the waters is feeding the hungry. There is evil on the earth. And there will be evil on the earth. And you don't know what it will be. And that means that we must turn to somebody who does. We must turn to God and we must live by faith. This interpretation has the, the, the weight of the trajectory of the book of Ecclesiastes behind it. In the first argument, Solomon said, There is no good in a man that he should enjoy life. Chapters 1 and 2. And in the second argument, he said that God is sovereign. He's the one who gives joy and enjoyment. He's the one who knows the future and all the answers. In the third argument, he defended that position. He said that God is the one who disperses joy and peace and blessing. And then, in the fourth argument where we've been, we must see that we must seek his blessing on our lives, which means that we must seek wisdom and must find out what it is that he commands us to do in this life to have his blessing, to have his fulfillment. And what he commands us to do here, in the fourth argument, is to be generous, to be kind, to be giving to pour yourself out for other people. In order to do that, we must live by faith. We must trust what Solomon has been telling us all along, that God is sovereign and he is the originator of all things and all blessings. And that he has no with limit to how much he can give. It's not like God's going to run out of resources. He made it all from nothing. And he ordains everything that happens, including the means by which it happens. So God is sovereign, and he's the originator of all blessings, and he promises again and again and again that he will bless the generous and the merciful. And that means that we can expect his favor if we trust him for the increase. Give, and give freely. He told us again and again. He told us this in the Pentateuch, in the law that he gave to Moses. He, in Leviticus, he said, If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him, like a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with you.
So if one of your brethren become poor, help him. But it's not just your brethren, also strangers and sojourners. Abraham, Abraham fed strangers. It was an honor. Hospitality was was a huge part of the the the, the Middle Eastern uh, ethos, their life. In Deuteronomy 15, if there's among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. So right at the beginning when the law was first given to the Israelites, we see it in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and in the stories of the, of the patriarchs of Genesis. This is evident also here in the wisdom literature, in Ecclesiastes, but also in Proverbs 19. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he, God, will pay back what he has given, what the man has given. When you lend to the poor, God sees that. Proverbs 28, he who gives to the poor will not lack. But he who hides his eyes will have many curses. And Proverbs 22, He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. So cast your bread upon the waters, is what the wisdom literature tells us. Jesus also teaches this. Luke 6, in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. You're becoming like God when you're generous to the needy, to those who cannot repay. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So give and give abundantly. Pour yourself out. Take the risk. And it is a risk to give of your goods. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's hard. I mean, you have something, but God's telling you to let go of it so that he can give you more. Paul, likewise, in his exhortation to the Corinthians, when he's, he's, he's giving them an exhortation to give to the church in Jerusalem. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So don't give grumpily. Be, be cheerful. When God gives you something, be thankful for it and share. And trust God that he will bless you for that. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower, and bread for food, 
Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. The Bible is abundantly clear that it is necessary for us to exercise generosity. The rest of our text this morning is instruction on how we are to acquire wealth so that we might be generous with it. First, section two, reality and foolishness. The next verse tells us that things are the way they are. Reality is reality. What is, is. The wise man recognizes that you must take life as it comes. Verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. Of course, on the surface this is very obvious. However, there's some very great wisdom here. If we want God's blessing, and if we want to know what wisdom is in this world, if we want success in our endeavors under the sun, we must take a proverbial look-see. Life is happening all around us, and life does happen. Time and chance happen to them all. The wise man does not live in a daydream. He does not keep his head buried in the sand, and he is not an idealist. Instead, he deals with reality. He is a realist. If he gets lost in the woods of life, he takes a look around himself. He climbs a tall tree. He gets his bearings and makes his decisions based on what he actually sees, not on what he would like things to be. In order to do this, he must be observant, and he must desire truth, and he must be willing to accept hard and harsh truths, because life is not safe. Sin and evil exist, and when you look at the realities of life on the earth, you will see ugliness. You will see dirt and grime. You will see pain and suffering. Life is not safe. But a wise man would rather deal with a harsh and hard reality than a soft make-believe. In verse 4, we see that the fool is not like that. He's always waiting for the perfect circumstances and the ideal conditions. Verse 4, he who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. Now a certain amount of observation is necessary. Normally you don't go and sow seed in gale force winds. But that's not what Solomon's talking about here. What Solomon's talking about here is the fool who uses circumstances as excuses for not doing his work. Frankly, whatever will be, will be. So if the clouds are full of rain, then it will rain. But what that means for us, since we don't know if it will rain or not, is that we go out and we sow until it starts raining. And then when it starts raining, then we come in and we wait till it stops. Which is when we start to go right back out and start getting to work again. We're supposed to focus on our tasks 
not on what God is doing. God makes it rain. God makes the tree fall to the left or the right. It's not our problem to worry about those things. Our problem is to deal with the task that's right in front of us. Verse 5. As you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the last section we saw that whatever is, is. But here we see that part of what is, is that we don't know the works of God. We don't know how he's doing what he's doing, and we don't know what will be. Life is full of mystery for us. And that means that the wise man recognizes that in reality he has limitations. And he does what he knows. And what he knows is what God puts before him to do. Without worrying about the whys and wherefores, all he's got to worry about is the what. But that part is easy. Verse 6. In the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, do not withhold your hand, for you do not know what will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. We must get to work and be diligent about it, in the morning and in the evening, all day long. There is no guarantee about what will end up panning out, or what will not. But what we are called to do is to put our hand to the work that God puts before us and trust that if it is his will, it will work out. And if it is not, it won't. But either way, he is doing it for a reason. And it is ultimately for our good. Romans 8, verse 28. All things happen for good to those who love God. The application here is that God's timing is not our timing. We must be bold and diligent and take opportunities as they come. We don't have the luxury of planning out our future to the nth degree. We don't have that luxury. Frequently this means that we must move before we are ready. God's timing is not our timing. We're not expecting that, oh, tomorrow I have to move away. Oh, tomorrow I'm going to be in the hospital with Truman. God's timing is not our timing. All we need to do is do what's before us. And with a good heart and a clear conscience, trusting that God has good for us. In the grand scheme of things, we are all nothing. And yet, God gives us great and grand work, tasks. He's tied us to himself in Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are doing Christ's work on the, in the world. And we're nothing. What grace. He knows all the variables. And he knows all the vectors. And he knows all the players. And the timing. And he is writing the story. And our job is to trust that. We must live by faith that we will be blessed for our faithful work, whether the project prospers or fails. It's God's work, it's not mine. I'm doing what God's telling me to do. So if, it, if he blesses it, praise God and I get the blessing in the, of that. 
if it fails, he's teaching me something there. Praise God. We must cast our bread on the waters by faith, trusting the proclamation of Scripture that we will find it after many days. The last consideration I want to discuss this morning is what this may mean for more valuable things than bread. Solomon tells us to cast our valuables, the stuff we live off, our bread, upon the waters. But Jesus told us that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is an exhortation to consider if you've been stingy with God's word. Cast your bread upon the waters. The reason we are to be prodigal with the gifts of God and the gifts that he gives us is that that is how we are to be like him. God overflows. He's abundant and embarrassingly generous. We should all blush at how kind he is to us. He made us. He protects us. He died for us and pampers us. Jesus came to earth to show us what it means to fulfill our calling. And that is to die to ourselves. So when we give our money and our material wealth, our mammon to God for his service, when we give up all of our lives to Jesus, we're just recognizing when we give our material stuff a greater truth that all things are his. Stuff is less than God's spirit. It has less value. The spiritual is greater than the material. And faithfulness is recognizing this. We must learn to be faithful in the little things. And in this sense, what we do with our stuff is a picture of how we think about the world we live in. He who is faithful in little, if you're faithful with your man and your stuff, will be faithful with much. The stuff is little, our salvation is much. This is the essence of John's argument from 1 John 3. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? It's a warning. How you use your stuff speaks about who you think God is and how he works in your life. But the warning to be found in John is not without the corresponding promises of blessing for those who see with the eyes of faith and invest their mammon for the building of God's kingdom. This is why Jesus said that whoever gives up houses or lands or parents or anything for his sake will be rewarded a hundredfold. This is also why he said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these will be added to you. God is in heaven and he judges the acts of men, and he rewards liberally, and he sees in the secret places. He sees our hearts. And the question is a simple one. Do you believe? Do you really believe that God is in heaven? Do you have faith that he rewards faithfulness? Jesus tells us to give in secret, but he who sees in secret will reward in the open. In the name of the Father.
Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.